Yo, this is the ancient Texan. Oh, as I said in the previous podcast, the U.S. was pretending it had power. I called it the illusion of power. The illusion of power in stopping Putin. Sanctions hurt the people of Russia, and they will hurt the economy of Russia. But they don't necessarily stop Putin. Only if the oligarchs that kind of control Putin are severely hurt, and hurt for a long time, um, could you see some backlash? But there may be some economic spoils of the war that he can deal out to his oligarchs as he takes over Ukraine. The real, there's a couple of real serious questions right now. You can't really control the country. Uh, for instance, Russia tried to control Afghanistan. The U.S. tried to control Vietnam. If the people are willing to die fighting, you just can't beat an enemy who are willing to die instead of being controlled. Now the question is, will Ukrainian people rather be, you know, have liberty or give me death type thing. I don't get the sense that the Ukrainians are willing to go that far. I think they're probably willing to fight for a while, but I'm not sure they're willing to, you know, give me liberty or give me death. I don't picture Ukrainians is feeling quite that uh, strongly about their country. I could be wrong. Because that will determine more than the military strength whether Russia can control Ukraine. They can certainly invade Ukraine. I heard that they have like a thousand aircraft to a hundred that Ukraine has. That's not much of a matchup, and they have more tanks and more missiles, and they have hardened troops, and they have more troops, and there's, and Ukraine didn't consider this, you know, attack imminent and real. I mean, I think that's a major blunder of their uh, leader, who's a comedian turned leader. Although I'm not sure what he could have done, but he could have been building up uh, reservist and preparing for attack, perhaps a little better. But they weren't really signaling that, you know, they're going to fight and resist. Um, the words on the surface said that, but I didn't hear deep down that they're willing to fight to the end type thing. Russia can very easily go in and take over any city, 
any part of the country it wants to. But Ukrainian Ukraine is a large country, and to hold that amount of territory, the people essentially have to give up. The question I think at this point in time is, how long is it before the Ukrainian government surrenders? I think it would be very unlikely they'll make it out of March without surrendering. But, you know, I can't wish this on the Ukrainians, but I can wish on the Russians that they have to pay dearly for this invasion. But that's kind of up to whether Ukrainians want to give their life resisting Russia. Then there's the bigger question. MAD. Mutually assured destruction. That kind of assumes one country doesn't attack another country with nuclear weapons because they'll get destroyed. Uh, mutually destroyed. But what if a country like Russia that has the biggest nuclear arsenal in the world wants to use its considerable military force, its conventional military forces against other countries and take them over. Do we dare resist that on the conventional battlefield for fear of it escalating to nuclear weapons? Or do we dare let him take countries one by one? I don't see any particular reason why Putin, if he gets away with Ukraine like he did with Crimea, should stop. Why not go on to Poland next? Well, we say NATO will stand up for those countries, but will we? Because we really have the same problem we have right now. You got a guy who's got a very strong military, comparable in strength to the U.S., and in, in a space where he's on his home turf, maybe more superior to the U.S. Are we sure that he won't? If he starts losing the ground war, that he won't just pop a few nuclear weapons in, you know, one place or another. I think he's very unpredictable. I think he's a little bit psychotic. I think we're starting to see how dangerous it is to have nuclear weapons spread out all over the world. If you go back on some of my old podcast, um, a lot of people call climate change an existential threat to the U.S. and to the world. I don't think they know what that means. Nuclear weapons fit that category. Climate change doesn't. 
Climate change problems may make life for a lot of poor people bad. They make it bad for other animals on this planet. They may make it tough on people living in the wrong place on this planet. But it's not an existential threat to life on Earth. At least, best I can tell. And the slow folding, unfolding, it's a 50-year progress, and that assumes that we can't do any, uh, you know, engineering of, of interfering with the sun coming into the earth and affect the energy balance. There's a lot of science between us and destruction, and even if you don't do anything, it just makes life hard. It's not wiping off people off the planet. We need to get our head on straight when we talk about existential threat. That's nuclear weapons. It's the only one I know of that's in this in that category. Except you may be like an asteroid or something, you know, coming in from outer space and blindsiding us. Now we're seeing how mad the mad philosophy is on nuclear weapons. What a stupid policy to begin with. What a stupid thing to believe in mad, mutually assured destruction. Mad was supposed to make our world stable. It makes it stable until we come along with a mad person person that's going mad and then it's like a crazy philosophy oh so some people ask me am I a democrat or republican I lean democratic but I would really get on board with any political party that made their number one priority to disarm the world of nuclear weapons I know that's a long process maybe take 50 years taking gradually reducing the amount of weapons but right now we're still expanding them Obama was the last one that seriously expanded our nuclear capabilities with a nuclear modernization program our military wants to build more nuclear weapons more delivery systems we're continuing to expand the madness. And no one but the ancient Texan seems to be bothered by this. Anyway, this is the ancient Texan. Feeling like I'm going mad watching this whole thing. Namaste. Yo, this is the Ancient Texan. I just listened to kind of an ongoing translation of uh, Putin's talk. I call it Putin's Story. And I've never seen such a clear um, an example of how us humans construct our story. 
that Putin's just done. This talks about an hour and he goes back into history and starts off with, you know, previous Russian leaders uh, first creating the country of Ukraine. They should have never done that. They should have just been part of Russia. Kind of how the breakup went when Soviet Union broke up and then how the Ukrainian people are actually Russians at heart and they're suffering under you know the influence of rulers that don't care about them that are siding with the West and Ukrainians are really Russians and deserve to be with Russia. Donbass area is being persecuted because they're mostly Russians and Ukraine is mistreating them and the United States is pushing NATO closer and closer to Russia and he goes into how little time it will take if they put missiles in Russia in Ukraine to get to Moscow and that that's actually a, I think a one of his legitimate points that's the same argument we used when they put tried to put missiles in Cuba oh but he just pulled together all these collection facts and rewrote history and one thing I think if you listen to him there's, you know, we like to think we're, I'm sure he thinks he's logical and he's made this logical presentation. But Putin, Putin and us were primarily emotional creatures. Putin seems to fear, have two emotions going on. One is actually fear of the U.S. being that close to Russia and the lack of his ability to provide security for Russia and anger that he's been put in this position by bad decisions of his own countrymen and the Ukrainian people and everybody siding for this democracy stuff. Um, and this fear and anger drive him to develop a story that he's telling the world Um, and everyone can see it's a story he kind of made up although some people I've seen people defending a story and they believe it and I think there's parts of it that are true Uh, and all of it is you know picking and choosing what's going on that support your emotional makeup Um, we all do it but most of us don't have an arsenal of nuclear weapons behind us Um, we don't have the ability to wipe out the planet and he's also responding as someone would that's under attack and under pressure from the US which treats him like the enemy 
I mean, the Democrats accusing uh, Russia of doing all sorts of stuff, some of which were true. Um, you know, when Trump was president. And some of his actions then, though, also come from, you know, his reacting to sanctions put on him and this long line of grievances that he has with the West and what they do. And, you know, it's like a running feud. You can you can always go back into the feud history and pick out the facts that support what you're doing. Except for the fact that most people in a few don't have the world's biggest nuclear arsenal. No, I was used to worry about Trump being kind of going off kilter and doing something stupid, stupid with nuclear weapons. I always thought it'd be like in South Korea or something. It'd pick on somebody that doesn't, you know, that has ability to hurt hurt us and it's a little nuts but that the U.S. could you know snuff out with only resulting in a lot of South Koreans dying not Americans and we obviously value American lives more than other people's lives in this country so now we got a guy making up a story and he's starting to act on that story Dunbar region, he's putting troops in, or he's authorized troops to go in there. It's not really clear whether they've actually gone in as of tonight, which is Wednesday night. He also strikes me as somebody that's coming a little bit unwound by the pressure. His only buddy that's really his ally is China is kind of covering his backside. Not completely. They're kind of, you know, coming out a little bit in favor of him. And in the parallel between uh, Ukraine and Taiwan is not lost on the, on the Chinese. So they consider, you know, ta- Taiwan you know, part of China despite Taiwan's people's choice to be independent which is what Putin claims for Ukrainians which doesn't happen to be uh, true in Ukraine either I didn't say that well Putin thinks Ukrainians want to be Russians and should be and China thinks Taiwan people should be part of China, although in both cases there's pretty clear evidence that Ukrainians want to be Ukrainians and Taiwanese want to be Taiwanese. But a guy making a story up picks, you know, some facts that support his cause and then... But... I think sometimes, some, you know this thing could escalate into some really bad places and I think we would be better 
position with Russia to deal with them more with you know, reward the treat the sugar instead of the punishment and the whip uh, it's a long story we've both developed about each other and it's going to take a long time to unwind it but a bad story just keeps being developed and evolved between the two of us is does not have a good outcome everybody thinks it's impossible but everyone thought it was impossible for Russia to start invading its neighbors and taking them back in it didn't stand up um, I can't think of the name of the country in the south of Ukraine starts with a K when he when he went in and took that country or when he's invaded Georgia um, and the US took off the table of armed conflict inside Ukraine I think it would have been the US's advantage not to say where they stood let there be the doubt whether we've decided it or not. Um, I think that this is a kind of a story that it's the first chapter of many chapters. And the possible, you know, there are some possible good endings like the oligarchs if they get there their money curtailed or they can't go can't go spend a summer in Paris uh, with their family if things start hurting the oligarchs that are in Russia they could put pressure on Putin they could even get Putin taken out of office but there's a lot more ways this story could really go south all because a Russian in power has a story that he's made about how he and Russia has been used and abused and the stories we've constructed uh, that make us treat Russia like they're the enemy and all these sanctions that we put in place in Russia, Iran, Venezuela, Yemen, um, is it Lebanese, Lebanon, Lebanon, Nigeria, Congo, I don't know all the places we have sanctions but I know some of them those sanctions in general make life oh Af Afghanistan those sanctions make life on the common man really tough it doesn't so much hurt 
the rich people. Afghanistan, people are going to be dying because of our sanctions. Because we have sanctions against the Taliban, and the Taliban happen to be ruling the country. And we absconded with $9 billion of their, well, the country's money. Now the people of 9-11 have sued for that money. And as much as I sympathize with them, um, the logic behind that is really eludes me. Belongs to the Afghan people that are starving to death. But that's another story. We made a story up there and executed it. Just like we've made up a story about Russia and we've treated him accordingly. Russia, Mr. Putin has made up his story and he's now acting on it. This is the ancient Texan looking at the story of Putin, or Putin's story. Yo, this is the ancient Texan signing off. An earthling that believes we are all part of a world wide web. We are all part of us. There are no thems. Namaste. Mm-hmm.